0: This is Kindle from Recording Lounge. It is September 29th, 2011. I'm really glad you guys are joining me today. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to get a show. I, I feel like I've my trend is to post a show the last week of every month. So if you're kind of wondering when the next show will come out, it's probably going to be the last week of every month. So a hint of that sometime in the, sometime in the 20s of the month. And uh, I'd love to get more shows out, and I'll probably try to get some more shows out soon. If you guys have suggestions for shows, please email them to me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Today's show is going to be in two parts. I'm going to give a slight bit of, uh, of a lesson about mic placement. And this is something I've tried to really work on for about a month. This show, I've really tried to quantify into eight steps – that are really proven in my... I I tried to reverse engineer what I do and actually try to think about, okay, what do I actually do when I put up microphones? And I want to be more of the teach a man to fish sort of guy. I I don't want to just say, oh, well, if you need to mic a guitar amp, put the mic here and it'll probably sound okay. What I want is for people to learn how to place microphones based on using their ears, not by their eyes. That's a dangerous thing to do is just get into habits. So... We're going to talk about mic placement, and then for the second half of the show, not really half, the second, I don't know, a little bit, maybe ten minutes, I'm going to do a review of some plugins. And so let's get started. Alright, so today's uh, topic is microphone placement. And I've tried to quantify down this to eight steps that are like logical steps, not necessarily even technical steps, they're just... Steps that can help you place microphones more effectively. So just just a quick review so that we're all on the same page here. We have our chain, right? Meaning we have the person in the room. We have their songs. That's step one. Their songwriting um, and the actual skill of the person. We have the instrument that they're using, be it a guitar, drums, or their voice, or whatever, or their amp, right? Their guitar amp. Then that's all in a room, and we use microphones to pick up that sound. And then we have the preamp, then we have our converter slash interface, okay? So that's the order of the chain. Now, we've kind of talked about this on other shows, but I'll go through it again. In order to make the chain as good as we can, we have to look at approximately how important each element of the chain is. Now. Obviously, every element is important. I want to clarify that. Every single element is important, and you can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to have amazing microphones and terrible mic preamps, and I'm going to get great sound. It's not like that. Everything is important. However, you can simplify the process a little bit by trying to shift the focus a little bit more into certain areas. So, in my mind, 50% of a good recording is included in the source, meaning a good song, a good arrangement, a good take, a good performance, good sources, good instruments, you know what I mean, good amps, right? These are your priorities. So you need to make sure that they sound good in the studio. You need to make sure that the guitar and the amp combination sounds good, and not only good, but right. But that's one of the hardest things, and it takes time, right? It takes time to learn these combinations. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Twenty percent of a good recording is how you use your equipment, meaning how you put up the mics, how you place your microphones, what microphones you pick. The actual quality of the microphones doesn't really matter as much as that. It's a lot more about how you use them. Obviously, we've all used SM57s to do some cool things. We've used cheaper mics, SM7s, RE20s, stuff like that, to get great sounds, so... It can't possibly all be about the equipment, and it's not really as much as you might think. However, you could also add 15% onto this as the room because I've recorded some things in some great rooms, and I mean you really – it's really amazing to get the opportunity to use great rooms. Big tracking rooms for drums are just beautiful uh, I've tracked some drums in this local room that's like 75 by 45. It's a it's a nice big room and it sounds great for drums. And uh, it really I can really stress that enough that good rooms will make everything sound better pretty much. Now, sometimes you want a small room. That's okay too. It's really the appropriate room for what you're trying to get. However, generally small rooms. And I know a lot of you guys are probably in home studios, which is totally understandable i i have a home studio i mean everybody's got a home studio right and it's one of those things that you can have a home studio you can work in a professional facility you can do a million things at once and still come back home and and work on projects however a lot of times these home studios don't sound good and it's because you're you have plaster walls you have plaster ceiling and sometimes carpet on the floor and, you know, uh, some things like that. So if your room sounds good, it doesn't have to sound big. You don't have to have a huge room. Um, Your dimensions matter and things like that. We did talk about this on some other shows. But treating your rooms with bass traps and things like that can make your room at least flat and accurate enough to record something. And then you can add reverb later if you have to. The last 15%, I would say, is the actual gear, meaning... Not the, not the instrument and the amp. I think that's really important. But I mean the recording gear, like the microphone choice exactly, the brand, the name, you know what I mean? The preamp, the converters, stuff like that. And, you know, if you had to go even further, I would say a good mix could be a huge portion of it. So let's just really quick recap on this. You have 50% as the song and the artist and the arrangement and the sources, right? 20% is your technique. is the room, and 15% is the actual microphones, preamps, and converters. So not to say that having cheapo mic preamps and cheapo converters, oh yeah, you can get 85% of the way to a professional recording. Okay, maybe, right? Maybe, if you're lucky, 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 but it's very difficult. You want to have the best stuff you can, but again, 20%, is your technique of how to use all that gear. And you might be limited. I have heard some recordings done on cheap gear, but they're sort of like an indie-style recording, like a indie band that doesn't have to sound super high-fidelity, and so you don't necessarily have to have amazing gear. But if you're wanting to do something that sounds like it was done in Nashville, you know, you might not be able to get those sounds that you're hearing in your head. So... Let's talk about these sounds. This is finally moving into the eight steps. Eight steps to better mic placement. Eight steps to better engineering. Okay? So step one. Take notes, guys, if you've got paper or something. Step one is to figure out the sound that you want. So let's say when you're coming time to do drums, do you want that Led Zeppelin sound? Do you want you know the big ring, lots of room, uh, lots of room sound and big fat drum sounds, or do you want a Beatles sound, which is like super tight muted drum sounds? You know, the big Ringo muted snare and uh, kind of like Wilco. Even do you want them like open and clean and crisp, kind of like Nashville drums, like very you know not a lot of muted drums. You know, really big, almost like concert sound. Um, do you want like a metal drum sound? I mean, obviously these genres are all different, right? So you can't just have the same sound for every genre. Guitars and bass. You know, do you want do you want a clean sound on the guitars? Do you want more of a big like Marshall sound, like for you know Queen or some uh, you know 70s rock thing? Do you want more of a modern metal sound? I mean, there are all these different sounds, and you have to choose the right combination of sounds. So step one is to figure out what sound you want. You know, sometimes people will listen and they'll be like, okay, well, I want these drums, but I want these guitars and I want these vocal sounds. Can we make a mix of these? You know, you have to experiment. So think of the sound that you're trying to create in your head. If you don't have a sound in your head that you're not really trying to create, then that can be good and bad. So, in one way, it does free you up to make, you know, to make a certain quality that has never been done before. In another way, it makes it very difficult to actually figure out what you're gonna do because if you don't know what sound you have in your head, then you don't really know what microphones or what amps or whatever to accomplish that sound. So step two is to choose the right sources to get the sound, not microphones, sources, right? So that means once you know the sound that you want, You need to choose the right sources, the right amp, the right snare drum, the right guitar, the right guitar pedals, the right guitar player to accomplish that. And over time, you'll find yourself learning about how different guitars, amps, drums sound and what you can get out of them. What you can get out of a Fender amp is a lot different than what you can get out of a Marshall. And that's one of the main reasons a lot of people are in denial about that. They're like, oh, well, I don't need more than this guitar amp. It does everything. Uh, Or, you know, oh, I just need this one drum kit. Because, sure, you might only need that if you're the instrumental player, if you're the actual one playing the instrument. You might only want that sound. You might be a guitar player that says, no, I play Les Pauls, and I play Fender amps, and I play, you know, Love Pedal, Guitar Pedals. That's it. That's my sound. That's great. But if you've shifted into recording yourself now, sometimes the sound that you have is different than the sound that you want and that's just something you got to admit. So you got to figure out what the source that you need is. And so my, my best advice for this is to just do your homework. Um, if you have – let's say you really love the tone of you know, some guitar player in a band. Well, you know, go to their website or go, go on forums and see if you can see what they use. Watch their music videos and see if you can see if it shows any of their gear. And, you know, just try to get an idea of what they might use or, or or go, like I said, you can sometimes go to bands' websites and they'll have a forum or like a community page and they'll probably have gear discussions depending on what they are or you can go to, you know, a metal forum or a gear forum or a rock forum or whatever and you can actually look up what these influences use. Now, you don't necessarily want to completely copy it. I mean, necessarily, because you do want to be unique. You want people to listen to your recordings later and be like, man, I want to sound like that guy. You don't want to just be like, oh, that sounds just like Jimi Hendrix, or that sounds just like John Mayer, uh, or that sounds just like you know Keith Urban, whatever. You don't want people to just associate your music with something based on the sound, because that's almost like a distraction. Anyway, so step two is choose the right source, right? So step three, once you have the right source that you think is good, go listen to it in the studio. That's step three. Listen to the source in the studio. So whether it's you playing or whether it's someone else playing, go into the studio and listen to how it sounds. I mean, stand there in front of it and listen to it. Let the person play or you play and listen to how it sounds. This is really difficult for stuff like acoustic guitar because if you're the one playing it, you can't really listen to it unless you record it. So we'll get to that step. But if you don't like the way it sounds, then figure out what you need to change about it. Do you need to change out the guitar? Do you need to just change the pickup selector on the guitar? Maybe that's what you need to change. Or maybe it just needs new strings. Um, Maybe the drums need new heads. Maybe you need to tune the drums differently. You really got to use your ears a lot, guys. And uh, it's it's scary when some people just walk into a studio and they're like, oh, yeah, this will work. Because you're like, well, okay, well, you're going to be not as happy with the sound if you just accept things like that. Oh, this will work, right? So one common thing is like with snare drums, a lot of times people will use a snare drum that they think will get the sound that they want. But I mean, snare drums have a lot of character. They can really change the character of an entire track. So really think a lot about the snare drum sound that you want if you're doing drums because some drums sound great tuned up. I love like a high tune DW. I think they sound nice and crack. They have a lot of crack to them. They have a lot of punch. And when you put a mic on them, they still have bottom end. And uh, But I also like acrylic snares. I like like, medium-sized acrylic snares. I love Ludwig Superphonic snares. I love Black Beauties. I love all kinds of snare drums, piccolos, everything, but they all sound different. They all sound totally different. So if you don't like it, figure out what you need to change, which is usually changing the actual instrument, changing the settings on the amp or whatever changing the actual player. I mean, maybe the drummer is just not good, and he doesn't know how to get the right sound out of the drum kit. Or, I guess as a last resort, you could also change what's being played. Maybe it's that you just don't like the part. That's the case too. Step four, make an informed decision about what microphone would best capture the sound. So, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but in my opinion, you basically have two options for microphones. You have a microphone that will complement the tone, and you have a microphone that will offset the tone. So you can get a microphone that complements the tone, which is the most common thing to do. So if you had like a pretty mid-rangey source, like let's say a guitar amp, then you might want to use a microphone that picks up the mid-range really well, like an SM57, right? So mid-rangey source, mid-range a mic, you know, you get probably a pretty good sound. Another common thing is like you have a kick drum, a big drum with lots of low ends. So what do you use? A D112 or a Beta 52. You use a big mic, big drum, big mic. I mean, that's a pretty common scenario, right? Now for vocals, again, we want to pick up low end and we also want to pick up breath. So we use a condenser where it will pick up all those. So it's kind of like, you know, you choose the mic that makes sense. However, You can also use mics to offset the tone. This is also pretty common. So let's say you have something like a trumpet and trumpets are very bright. Well, you might not want to use a super bright microphone on a trumpet because it might start to sound really harsh. So a lot of times we'll use ribbon mics on brass instruments to help soften them up. So we're offsetting the tone, right? We are offsetting the brightness of the horn, the harshness, the the upper mid-range frequencies, by using a microphone that's not as sensitive in those areas, it's not as bright in those areas. So another commonplace is like on a Martin acoustic guitar, which are sometimes pretty dark. Sometimes they have a lot of low end, they're kind of dark. I like to use an AKG 451, which is a very bright microphone. And that kind of offsets the big bottom end, and also it's got a roll-off, which is very nice. So it kind of offsets the big, huge bottom by giving it a nice, clean top end. So you can either complement it or offset it. So you make the decision about what mic to use based on how it sounds. Again, you're listening to the source and you're thinking, does that sound how I want it to? And again, this all goes back to the room because if the room doesn't sound good or doesn't sound right, sometimes you can't make a good decision about what to use. Sometimes it will sound good in the room but because the room is inaccurate or – you know what I mean? Then you're just fooling yourself into thinking it sounds good. So another place is a lot of things. People will listen to something from you know ten feet away. They're like, oh, play play your acoustic guitar, and they're standing ten feet away from it. It's like, okay, are you putting the mic there, or are you just listening from there? I mean, sometimes you have gotta invade some personal space and put your head right by the sound hole or right by the neck joint, and you know, make sure you know these people, <laughs> make sure they're comfortable with you putting your head that close to their body. So, okay, step five, place mic. It's pretty simple. But after listening to the source and and making an informed decision about what mic you should use or might want to use, put the microphone based on your gut feeling. That's my best advice is is go, you know, say, okay, well, um, this is a SM57 on a guitar amp and I don't want it super bright, so maybe I'll put it kind of in between the center of the cone and maybe the edge. You know, use your gut. Don't, don't start necessarily from a starting place you can try start from a starting place but don't necessarily do that every time use your gut feeling about what you think will sound right listen to it and just say you know i think uh i think maybe i need to put this here now we move on to the most important step in the whole process out of the eight steps step six is the most important and that is listen to it in the control room i i can't stress this enough this is probably the most important. Um, it involves going into the control room and listening to how it sounds before you record it, not just checking levels, checking the tone of it and think about it in the context of the mix. So the most common things that you usually listen for are things that sound too bright, right? too dark, muddy, boxy, harsh. You know things like that. These these terms that we have in our heads. We're like, okay, well, the it's it doesn't have enough highs, so it's too dark, or it's got too it's got too much highs, so it's too bright, or there's too much low mids that gets us the muddy sound, or uh, like sometimes there's too much mids, which would be like the boxy sound. A lot of times this happens in drums. Now sometimes you just have to eq this out. Sometimes you just have to, and you can choose a different mic to help with some of that, but a lot of times it's just the way the drum sounds, especially when you're miking drums so close. Close mics, that is. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, sometimes it's too harsh. This happens a lot on guitars, and sometimes vocals and horns. The harshness up in the 2 to 6k region, a lot of times that prevents you from having that sweet quality of it because it just it just hurts almost I mean it literally almost hurts your ears to listen to have the person play the part don't just ha- don't just say okay play your guitar and then let them play whatever say you know play the part that you're going to play and if you have to one thing I like to do is especially if you're doing it yourself record it you know you're not wasting tape record it have them play through it like for a minute right and record the part and then just listen back to it. Put it on loop if you have to and just listen. Be like, okay, is this going to fit in the mix? Do I like this? Does this, Is this even the right sound? Um, one common problem too is sometimes there's too much bleed. Now, this, is, this happens a lot on snare drum because what people will do is they'll check the level of their snare drum by itself. And it's like, okay, well, if you just keep checking the levels of your snare drum... And you get this perfect sound that you love, but then when the whole drums record, they play the hi hat too. Then you might be screwed. So again, on the drums, what I usually do is I just record the whole drum kit, and uh, and I look at the levels, and I and I look at them on my meters, and I look at them on the on the DAW, and I look at the levels, and I'm like, oh man, okay, the snare drum's a little hot, so I turn that down. And then after I'm done recording it and I'm setting my levels as they're playing, then I listen for things like bleed. I listen for the tone. I listen for proximity effect. I listen for bleed. And sometimes you can have things that don't take processing well. Sometimes you're not using the right mic, and it doesn't take processing well. So, like, you start EQing something, and it just sounds terrible. So... And another time is, like, on acoustic guitar, a lot of times the positioning is so subtle, moving the mic an inch will change the entire sound. So sometimes you're not picking up the right part of the sound. Meaning, like, if you put a mic on the neck of an acoustic guitar, acoustic guitar players know what I'm talking about. If you put a mic on the neck of the acoustic guitar, it sounds completely different from the, from putting a mic by the bridge. The bridge is, like, super mid-rangey, sometimes terrible, sometimes great. And the neck is super bright, generally. And the sound hole is super boomy. So, I mean, moving just within a matter of, like, a foot and a half is a drastic change. It doesn't even sound like the same instrument. So, you know, be careful with this. Be careful with what part you're actually miking up. Another common thing is, like, snare drums. Some people will like to put a snare drum mic, you know, your typical place on the snare drum on top, right? But if you angle it too much, you might get too much... Uh, like, if you make it too flat, you might get too much head sound. You might get too much crack and not enough tone from the drum. But if you angle it too downward, you might not get any crack. You might just get boom. Um, so that's why a lot of times on snare drum, a good angle for is 45 degrees. Because you can kind of get the attack from the head, and you can also get the tone from the drum. Seems pretty logical, right? I hope this is making sense to you guys. So again like i said step six is the most important figure out the answer to this question what don't i like about it and what can i do to fix it so that's what we're going to talk about in step seven is solve the problem step six was listen for the problem step seven is solve the problem so check the source does it sound good does the guitar amp actually sound good? Are you fooling yourself to thinking it sounds good? Or, you know, is it the first time you ever heard an amp like that in the studio? Or, you know, you really know it. Do you really think it sounds like the sound you have in your head? Change the mic placement. Change the microphone. Uh, you can change the placement of the source itself like sometimes we do this with drums we'll move drums into different parts of the room some like some drum kits sound really good around the center in the room some drum kits sound a little better closer to a wall uh particularly drum kits that aren't, don't have as much low end sometimes sound better next to a wall because the low end builds up you can change the actual instrument if you don't like the snare drum change it out if you don't like the guitar change it out change the part that's written you can change the room. You can. Ch- I mean you can change just about anything. So step seven is solve your problem, right? Solve all your problems before you record. That's just like rule number one. It will make mixing easier. It will make mixing faster. It will make it more enjoyable because what you don't want mixing to become is just a process of fixing everything. That's just boring and unenjoyable. I love to mix and – if I had to spend the whole time fixing everything, geez, I mean, I would hate it, like fixing everything. A lot of times these days, what, what I end up doing is fixing a couple things, and then the other stuff you just enhance in little ways, little subtle ways here and there, and little tiny things make big differences in the long run. So we finally move to step eight. Are you guys still with me? I hope so. Step eight is to commit to the position. Commit to the source, commit to the combination, and record it. What do you know? So once you really find the sound that you think you want, then commit to it and say, that's it. That's totally it. Don't spend days and days getting the guitar amp sound. You know, If you can't get it in a, in a reasonable amount of time, you're probably overthinking it. You're probably like, you know. Now, it depends. It depends if you're working for someone that says, no, 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 that's not it. Then keep working. You know, But other times, you can spend all this time trying to get this little tiny difference when it's like, okay, maybe you really just don't have the gear to do that. Or maybe you don't have the ears to do it. Maybe you're tricking yourself. Maybe you're biasing yourself. So it's all about the music anyway, right? We're all music lovers. We love to listen to music. We love to play music. We love recording music. So... You can't spend your whole life getting sounds. you got to record it sometime, buddy. So record it. Commit to the position. Record it. So we're going to go through these one more time, just real quick. So one, figure out the sound you have in your head. Figure out what exactly it is you want. Two, figure out the right source to get that sound. Three, listen to the source in the studio. Uh, and go, go actually listen to it and see if it sounds right. Four make a decision about what microphone would best capture that sound. Five, use your knowledge and place the microphone in a practical spot. Six, listen in the control room and change, you know, change anything that needs to be changed. Right? Sit there and listen and say, man, it's too bright. It's too dark. It's not the sound. It's not the sound at all. So go change whatever you need to. 7 is actually just that, solve the problem make sure you solve it go back and forth between tracking room and control room as much as you have to to solve the problem Um, and like I said, you can change out the instrument you can change out the amp you can change out the part you're playing the mic, the mic placement there's so many options here guys and and it takes time and and you'll get faster at it, you will you will get faster at it, I promise you so to get to step number 8 which is record it record it, have fun so I hope that this step, these steps have helped you. I hope that they've sort of tried to quantify the process in something that's like not so tempting to just throw up your hands and say, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so bad at this. I'm so terrible. Don't get all discouraged. I'm trying to do this in eight steps so that you can think about it in a very quick, simple mat manner and think about it in order. This is how I think about it every single time I put up microphones. And like I said, I kind of do it instinctively now. But there was a time when I didn't and there was a time when I was like man what do I need to do to change this guitar sound and I I didn't know I really didn't know I couldn't figure out what it was that I didn't like about it I was like um I don't know it just doesn't sound right okay well why not I don't know I don't know takes time guys don't beat yourself up over it. it takes a lot of time and the more you listen, the more you listen to music, the more you listen to sources in the studio, the more you learn how your microphones and how your preamps and how your studio and how your room and how all this stuff of yours works, the better you'll get to know your whole setup. Now, this is one of those things we talked about during the monitoring show, about how having having good studio monitors is really, really important, especially in the tracking phase and the mixing phase because... In the tracking phase, you have to listen for how it sounds. And if your monitors are lying to you, you know you might be picking up tons of lows that you don't want. But your monitors can't produce them. So you're thinking, oh man, that sounds great. And then you go to mix it and you're just like, ugh, gah. This mix is terrible. It's so muddy. But your monitors didn't tell you that. So be careful of those things. So we're going to move on to... Part two, I'm going to review a product, and that is the Waves Chryslord Algae Classic Compressors Bundle. I just picked these up. I've heard a lot of good reviews. I kept debating between the UAD and the Waves, and I went with the Waves for two reasons. One, uh, they're cheaper, right? Two, this is the actual big reason, not the price, but uh, I don't have a empty PCI Express slot so the UAD cards are PCI Express and I don't have an empty one I I use it for my interface so yeah (laughs) pretty much that pretty much solved problem and I use a PC so I couldn't use UAD satellite so um I couldn't do it and um so anyway review of these plugins a lot of people have been talking about them and a lot of forums are doing shootouts and all this and you know I've used real LA threes. I've used real eleven seventy sixes. I have not actually ever used a real LA two, but I've used some like newer emulations of an LA two. But I have used a real LA three and a real eleven seventy six, and I like them both a lot. Uh, have not used the blue stripe eleven seventy six, but the black eleven seventy six and the and you know the LA three. And uh, I love both of those compressors. They sound amazing. I love them on a lot of different things: acoustic guitars and drums and vocals. And I mean, they can get done a lot. So this plugin bundle was released by Waves, I think a year ago, year maybe a year and a half ago. I don't even remember. And it comes with four plugins. That is the Teletronics LA2A emulation that they call the CLA2A. They have the 1176 Universal Audio. Blue, both the black face the standard one and then they have the blue one which sounds a little bit different in my mind they sound pretty close but the uh white one has a little bit more drive in some ways but it's a different sound of drive it's a little bit more um meaty but it's also i don't know it's, it seems to be a little bit more suited for it sounds kind of like an la3 actually it's got it's got more bottom than 1176. But it also has a little bit more of a high extension, it seems like, to where it sounds better on things like overheads. I, I really like it on overheads better than a, than a uh, black, the black one. I mean, it's, it's subtle stuff, but... Uh, and then it comes with the LA-3. So if you guys don't know, the LA-2 is a tube optical compressor that doesn't have any settings other than input and output. So it's fixed threshold, fixed attack, fixed release... And, uh, you can set between, on the plugins, you can set between compressor and limiter, which I believe changes the attack time and the ratio. So, this plugin sounds great. It's got a nice, solid sound that is really quick. Like, you can put it on vocals and you can get a pretty good sound pretty quick. That's what I like about it, is that, like, you can put the LA3 and the LA2 on a vocal or on an acoustic guitar or on, you know, a bass and get a pretty quick good sound. Like you don't have to really mess with knobs. That's kind of the nice part about those compressors too, the actual hardware, is that you didn't have to sit around and fiddle with attack and release times and ratios and all this because they just sound so good out of the box, you know. They just sound so good. Now, I don't I don't like necessarily to use the LA2 or LA3 on bass all the time sometimes, but generally I prefer the 1176 on bass. And, uh, and drums. But, uh, the LA-2 sounds really great. It's got, uh, some interesting... You can, you can add in some analog sound by... They have, like, a 50 hertz, 60 hertz, and off. And so you can actually add some hiss the more you compress, and it's kind of neat. Um, and I'm assuming they're talking about, like, ground loop from 50 hertz meaning European and 60 hertz meaning American, and, uh you know, you can kind of play with that, and I guess it's high harmonics of that or something, I don't know. But uh, the LA-3 sounds really good as well, and that's a, that's a, basically a non-tube LA-2, is kind of what the LA-3 is. It's a non-tube LA-2, and uh, it's optical still, but it's non-tube, so it sounds a little cleaner. It's a little better if you don't want the big bottom, because it does have big bottom, but not like, I don't know, ra- super round bottom. It's a little more of a hybrid between a a, a, a like a 1176 and the LA-2. It's a nice in-between. To me, I like the LA-3 a lot on uh, bass comparatively to the LA-2, but again, I still prefer the 1176. But it sounds really good on certain vocals. I also really like it on certain electric guitars and acoustic guitar. It sounds really good in the limit mode on acoustic guitar. And depending on what they're playing, the compressor mode too. And the interface of all these is just beautiful. It looks great, it's really simple. Um, I'm looking at them right now. They're, they're really simple looking plugins that operate just like the hardware. And the meters are good. And, you know, they're just really well done. I mean, of course, waves, you know, how, how can you really complain about waves? The 1176, I love. I think it's a great-sounding one. I don't really like the all-buttons-in mode that much. It sounds pretty close to the real 1176, but maybe it's just me, but I feel like it's not as easy to use as the all-buttons-in on the real 1176. I feel like that one just sounds really good. But the plug-in on the all-buttons-in sounds pretty good. I don't really even know. Again, here's one of those things I was telling you about earlier in the show. I don't really even know what to say about why I don't like it as much as the hardware all buttons in. The software all buttons in is cool and you can use it, but I just like the hardware all buttons in more. The normal operation of the eleven seventy six though is beautiful. It works great. The I mean I'm so I'm so I've used an eleven seventy six, so it's, I'm I'm used to the controls and they work just like them. They sound really really good. It works great and very low CPU. I think all these are, you know, zero latency or near zero latency. They, they're so fast and they're low CPU, so you can use a ton of them. And uh, the blue versus black 1176... I know on the waves video, I think I think Chris Lord-Alge Chris said he likes to use the black on drums and the and the blue on vocals. Uh, I like the blue on vocals. The blue on vocals is uh, it sounds pretty good. It does seem to me to to have a little bit more aggression than an LA three with the variable attack and release times, but it's not super aggressive. If you really want to hear the differences between these two plugins, then just crank them. Like crank the crap out of them, put them all buttons in, and then you can really hear the difference then. You can hear the tone difference. It's not something you can compress one decibel and hear the difference between the blue and the black. They're not that different. But when you start compressing, you know, four or five decibels or at higher ratios, or if you're doing, you know, fast release times or if you're doing all buttons in, you can really tell the difference between the two. And I think my favorite part of these plugins, other than the low CPU and the uh, low latency, is this little knob called the high frequency knob. And um, basically what it does, according to the manual, is something like uh, it increases the voltage amplifier gain into the circuit um, above like 500 or 1K, something like that, uh, leaving, leaving lower frequencies intact or something like that and so basically what happens is you can turn it to flat uh which is on the right side and it'll basically be like a full-on normal compressor but if you turn it slowly to the left as you go to the high frequency side it's like the input is it's a side chain input so it's a little more sensitive to um the high frequencies in terms of what it's compressing and so you kind of get more compression on the high frequencies and a little bit less in the lows i I don't really know how to explain exactly what it does but it's it's less sensitive to the low frequencies and so you get more compression it's 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 not that it's not compressing the low frequencies it's almost that it's just like what it basically does to my understanding is it eq's out uh the low frequencies of your source But it doesn't send that to the output. Let me put it this way. You have... A compressor in your chain. So, you have your source, like your acoustic guitar, let's say. It will send it to the compressor. Then the compressor... Basically says, okay, I'm either looking at full frequency, or I'm going to EQ it. Then I'm going to compress that... Based on that. And so, whatever I'm compressing, if it were EQ'd, I'm only going to compress the total. So... It doesn't affect your sound on the output as much as it sounds. I mean, it's hard to explain, but it's a side chain input. So it only looks at the high frequencies for what to compress. So if you have something like an acoustic guitar where there's like a lot of strumming, if you put it flat, it's going to get the strumming, but it's also going to compress based on the boom, like how much boom volume of the acoustic guitar there is, how much body volume but if you turn it to high frequencies, it's only going to compress when – it's only going to trigger the compressor's action when the you know clack, clack, clack of the acoustic guitar is happening. So that's really nice because you don't have to necessarily EQ before you compress and then EQ after to get the sound back and all this confusing stuff. It, it, it's, a, it's a nice, quick, and easy way to get the sound um, a little more controlled – into the part of it that you want. So again, I love these plugins. I think they're fantastic. I think it's a great investment. I got mine for $400 on Sweetwater, and uh, you know you gotta have an iLock, You gotta have an iLok account. But by now, if you're using plugins from Waves or from, uh, gosh, tons and tons of places are using the iLok now. You need an iLok. You're gonna have to get one. So uh, I would get one. They're super easy to set up and uh, you know the new ones are great too the the iLock version 2 or, or Mark 2 or whatever they're calling it and um, you know so definitely check out these plugins if you have an iLock account you can go and try the demo from Waves and um, you can just test them out see what they do like uh, again I love that these plugins work so quickly you can put them up and get a pretty good sound quick which makes mixing a lot more fun it, it makes it more of an artistic process because like if you put up the LA-2, you don't have to sit there and say, okay, so what attack and release times do I want? Now, generally, you can set those pretty quick if you know what you're listening to. Um, for me, like on 1176, you know, it's not like I spend 30 minutes sitting the attack and release. That's that's stupid. Uh, you know, I spend a minute setting the attack and release. However, <clears throat> it kind of allows you to use these plugins as more of a tonal thing. Like you can say, okay, I want sort of the big, fat... Uh, vintage kick drum sound well you might put an la2 on that and and it's like you don't have to sit there and say well i want a compressor with a faster attack and something with more of a quicker release or uh you know maybe a tube quality too you just put it on based on the sound and so it's kind of nice because it gets you back to the music quick which is good i like to mix quick i don't like spending forever in a day on a mix um you know it's funny i use that term forever in a day Uh, I usually, if I am doing a mix from scratch, I usually mix it in about eight hours. I don't like to spend 12, 15 hours on a mix. I like to mix a song pretty quick. So, some some people spend, you know, 10 hours on a mix. Some people spend 15. Some people spend two days. Some people spend forever. But I total like to spend six or eight hours on a mix. And, you know, if it's not right, then I keep working, obviously, but... I don't like to spend days and days and days and weeks on certain mixes. It just you lose all the vibe and you lose all of your like interest in it. So these plugins are impressive. I um I love them. I think that they sound fantastic, and I would recommend them to anyone, particularly that's looking for compressors that are really get you far. Like compressors that you can use on almost anything. I mean, these three compressors can pretty much find a way onto any track in your mix. Um, particularly in rock but like you know you got the la3 which would sound good for maybe like electric guitars or or or, uh certain drums or um maybe bass or maybe backing vocals or something like that and uh you've got the la2 that would sound maybe good for lead vocals let's say or or bass or whatever you might want to be using it for 1176 which always sounds good on drums and um you know, and then you've got the compressor and limit mode in each one, so you've really almost got eight compressors because you've got four different ones, and then you've got a compressor and limit mode in each one, so you've almost got eight compressors to play with. I mean, because they all sound different, and then you have two different modes that sound different, and they do different things. So it's quick, it's quick mixing, it's it's impulsive, it's it's uh, it's exciting to use these plugins. So good job, Waves, kudos. Now, if you guys have any questions or thoughts about new shows, please, please email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to get, for uh, for hearing your responses about the show or questions or anything. So email me anytime you want. I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. I've been getting good questions. So thank you guys so much for emailing me that have not emailed me. And I hope to talk to you guys very soon. Thanks. that's my